0: The world of pay TV gets just a little bit harder to follow with a new court battle that's already in progress. And what if the Sprint and T-Mobile merger is not allowed to happen? I'm Phil Harvey, and you're listening to the Light Reading Podcast. Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast, where we discuss the people, technology, and finance behind the world's communications networks. On today's podcast, pay TV problems and mobile merger madness. Light Reading Senior Editor Jeff Baumgartner joins us to revisit the saga of Omniverse One World Television. It's an over-the-top distributor of live pay TV channels to all kinds of competitive players. Well, since we last talked about this company, more stuff has happened, and some of its customers are pulling out of the market entirely. Is that a bad sign? We'll find out. Then, the Sprint and T-Mobile merger suddenly seems like it's in trouble. The Wall Street Journal, citing anonymous sources, is reporting that the Justice Department has told both companies that the deal is unlikely to be approved as, it, as it's currently structured. Um, that's the key part. As it's currently structured. So there's definitely a problem there. And lucky for us, Light Reading's Mike Dano helps us unpack what might happen if T-Mobile and Sprint are not allowed to merge. And he'll also talk about why Sprint is not exactly the horse to bet on if things go badly. All of that and more right after this break. To talk to us about all things Omniverse, it's uh, Light Readings, Jeff Baumgartner. Hello, Jeff.
1: Hey, Phil. How you doing?
0: I'm doing well, and uh, it's been a busy week. Even though, um, man, uh, the, the Omniverse saga, I guess, just continues to uh, to unfold a little bit at a time. Um, let's start at the top, in case somebody missed our last podcast. Uh, Omniverse is an over-the-top television provider. And their initial business plan was to, or business model, was to uh, distribute pay TV channels over the internet to partners who would then sell them directly to consumers, right?
1: Right, yeah. And the whole thing, uh, the way I understand it, it kind of stems from like a joint venture that Omniverse has with a, a New Jersey-based private cable operator called HovSat that has the original, like, reported 100-year contract with DirecTV, uh, that, that kind of enables it. And then there's like this joint venture, right, between Omniverse and HovSat. Uh, and, and then they kind of connect into these this other layer of like master resellers and ultimately to some of these other companies that are selling, you know, these pay TV services over the top.
0: And what they're trying to figure out via the courts, uh, via a lawsuit uh, from the studios, is is any of this actually legal?
1: Right. And and that's kind of been a point of contention, I think, uh, particularly from Omniverse's standpoint, because the, the lawsuit itself is really focused on uh, copyright and piracy. Right. And, uh, you know, Omniverse has been pretty... Uh, Strongly saying that, uh, you know, that everything they're doing is above board, um, you know, legal and so forth. And, you know, so I think that they're trying to get some clarification from the court and kind of more of a definitive statement from the plaintiffs about what what they're being accused of. You know, is it piracy or is it about uh, like exceeding the scope of this uh, this contract uh, that, that they're kind of basing their whole business on?
0: And what's happened recently that sort of, um, you know, propelled, a uh, propelled you to kind of write more about, uh, this because where we left it last time, we were sort of like, okay, now it's ready for the courts to figure out, but there's been some activity in the meantime.
1: Yeah. We've seen some of the, some documents kind of flying into the, uh, uh, into, into the court docket related to the case, which, you know, shapes some things. And at the same time, there, there's some, uh, you know, some aspects of the case that are still uh, kind of hidden. But uh, a couple of things that have been kind of out in the open is that there were a couple of uh, companies that had ties to Omniverse that, you know, essentially got cold feet. Uh, there was a company called, or a company called Silicon Dust, you know, that was selling a product um like kind of a premium tv product and then another company called clickia that was also involved and you know they both decided uh you know maybe just couldn't stand the heat so to speak and and went ahead and got out of that um uh you know out of that deal and uh, just it just kind of there's like another layer which you know I, i wasn't you know, which kind of came to light here, and that is, there's these uh, master reseller agreements uh, between Omniverse and and you know Flixon Media is one that we're aware of, and, and maybe I think there's another one uh, called Tiki Live, and you know it sounds like those are the the parties that are working with. Like clicky and, and silicon dust, so you know it's wow. just the uh, multiple layers, you know, uh, involved in this whole uh, scenario. And then just to make things a little more interesting or complicated, depending on how you look at it, uh, you know, Flixon Media is now pointing to like a newly branded service called OmniGo. Um, so now we're starting to see like a direct to consumer offering with the, with the Omni brand, or at least the Omni brand. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, what we're not really clear, or I'm not entirely clear on is how, or if, you know, this relates to the lawsuit, but, uh, just kind of sort of came out of the blue.
0: Yeah. The timing was interesting. Um, so to back all the way up, uh. A pay TV signal, or you know, all the channels—CBS, uh, ABC—all all the normal channels that we expect to get on pay TV here in the U.S. Um, emanates from uh, Directv and their facilities, and then the signal is taken. Um, Omniverse uh, and and v and Hovsat, uh, this joint venture, say that they have the ability to uh, the permission to take the Directv signal and Not just distribute that to consumers but distribute that to resellers who then distribute it to uh, other companies who then sell it to consumers did i get that right
1: yeah i I mean i think uh, that that's that's kind of what they've they've been doing and yeah uh, you know and i haven't seen you know this magical agreement produced in the court documents uh yet uh, you know, but Omniverse—they did put in a court filing that, that kind of explained, at least um, its understanding of it, and um, you know, kind of how their it's being interpreted by them. Uh, uh-huh. And what what they said is, you know, the agreement in question, you know, between HovSat and Directv has, you know, quote unquote, no limitations with respect to you know the U.S. market reach as well as. Uh, delivery method, you know, which you know, I assume you know they think includes, you know, over the top, is perfectly fine. So yeah, you know, it just seems like the, the base of the basis of this whole thing is, uh, you know, this this no limitation aspect of it, but how that is being perceived, or uh, you know, by by these parties, and and what that allows them to do or doesn't allow them to do, is kind of. I think is going to kind of be the crux of the whole, the whole case.
0: Right. Because what was interesting about how you laid this out in your reporting is there were so many parties involved ultimately in, um, you know, between the signal and the end consumer. And yet the end consumer wasn't paying more for the pay TV product. They were actually paying quite a bit less than the competitive products that are on the market now. Um, so, there wasn't a markup every single step of the way, and that automatically raised suspicions, i guess,
1: yeah, and I think that that's that's part of the reason why the you know some of the studios and the programmers wanted to take a you know a closer look at this because uh you know according to this contract, it appears to be kind of under this like bulk sort of deal that you that you might see in an m d u environment where you know, you might be paying 40 to 60% less than you would from a, you know, direct to consumer, uh, retail side of it. Um, and then you know, you have a lot of virtual MVPDs out there that are carving out new deals and, and, uh, to get national over the top digital distribution of some of these networks. And, uh, you know, I don't know all the, the details of those deals, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're going to be a, a little bit more expensive just because a lot of these services don't have a lot of subscribers yeah. to begin with. Um, so you're not getting the best deal. Plus you're doing over the top multi-screen and, you know, I think that that that's kind of going to carry a little bit of a premium as well. So, right. uh, so I think they're, they're trying to find some, some balance here, or at least make an attempt to, uh, you know, try to bring the aspects of this contract, you know, kind of into uh, today's reality. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Because
0: there's a good chance that this contract was actually drafted before over-the-top distribution via the internet was even a thing.
1: Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, it goes all the way back to the the interpretation. And, uh, you know, I guess I I would hand it to whoever at HovSat, you know, Put this thing together <laughs> yeah you know to, to to put something together with uh with apparently little to no restrictions uh i mean that's that's a lot of foresight uh whether they they knew what they were doing with respect to over the top <laughs> distribution and so forth that's right. another another thing but uh hey you know if uh whoever did put that together uh you know definitely knows how to negotiate
0: a 100 year agreement with little or no technology restrictions. You simply don't mm-hmm. see a lot of that these days.
1: No, no. And whoever was on the side of, uh, Hughes and DirecTV, Yeah. I, I guess, you know, they, uh, they obviously did not, uh, foresee any of this either. Uh, you know, who knows if they were just desperate to, to you know, get a big giant national deal done or, you know, kind of how that came together, you know, with, without those restrictions, but, uh, you know, here we are, Many years later, you know, uh, with the courts having to hash over it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and all the studios sort of wringing their hands because this could mean they get paid a lot less for their uh, uh, for per content stream than what they're used to making. Um, I guess the the final thing I just just to kind of put a bow on this whole thing um, is uh, what does this say about the state of the pay TV market right now? That the the fact that these guys are even attempting this. Um says that the market is really kind of wide open, right?
1: Com- yeah, I mean, competitively def-
0: speaking, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've definitely have seen, you know, the traditional MVPDs. I mean, they're they're struggling to, mm-hmm. you know, just keep their losses uh, in check, and mm-hmm. you know, and and I, the kind of this more direct to consumer model. You know, we, we do see. Uh, a segment of the population that, you know, is definitely looking uh, for a better deal out there. And, you know, if they're kind of looking at, you know, kind of a decent-sized package, uh, you know, for a lower price, um, you know, I can understand why, uh, you know, a number of consumers would, you know, kind of gravitate, you know, to some of these services. Uh, It's definitely below market price, and you do get, you know, a lot of the most popular programming out there
0: yeah well for everybody else tv is just a trivial pastime but for jeff Baumgartner, it is quite a bit more involved uh thanks so much for following this story i appreciate it
1: of course thanks phil
0: Joining me to talk all things Sprint and T-Mobile merger is Mike Dano. Mike, hello.
2: Hello, hello. Thanks for
0: having me. <laughs> hey, no problem. Um, so mm-hmm. we're uh, in the middle of an interesting week. Um, everything was all uh, quiet in the, you know, Sprint and T-Mobile merger. Um, and then suddenly at the beginning of the week, we started getting these whispers that the Justice Department wasn't happy about something in the merger, some conditions of the merger or, uh, uh, something that the two companies were planning. And, um, and then T-Mobile came out, T-Mobile CEO, John, Leg- uh, Legere or Ledger, uh, said, uh, no, that's untrue. Uh, but we're not going to comment on anything else. And, uh, and here we are. Um, so is it, is it, does it seem, uh, like, the T-Mobile Sprint merger is suddenly less likely to happen now?
2: I mean, I think the Wall Street Journal story that came out is a pretty good signal. I don't think that those journal stories come out of nowhere. I'm pretty sure that they're fairly tied into things. Yeah. And uh, I think like you said, like they may be, you know, they may be floating this idea of the merger in order to gauge uh, reactions. Um. Mm-hmm. So I think I think the Wall Street Journal story is one that I am I'm, I'm pretty inclined to believe, and I'm pretty inclined to take it face value. Um, those are reporters who kind of are pretty tied in and who know what's going on, and are very familiar with this process and, and with the players involved. And so if they're saying that um, the uh, Justice Department, you know, has concerns about the structure of the deal, then I. I think that that's what exactly is happening. I think that the Justice Department has concerned about the structures of the deal. I don't think that necessarily means that the Justice Department is going to move against the deal completely, uh, but it certainly is not a good sign d- despite what um, Sprint and T-Mobile are saying about it.
0: Right. Yeah, that's that's the key, I think is is that um, you know it, maybe it means maybe it means the merger still happens, but certain conditions get applied to it and that sort of thing
2: yeah exactly and the thing about that is interesting is that i've been reading about um this the the head of the antitrust division and I don't know how to say his name delram uh-huh. um he uh supposedly he does not like setting conditions um uh, okay. on mergers he's 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 said that that's he doesn't he doesn't really like that approach um and so that's why I think that that is strange is that if he's already signaled that he he's not a real big fan of you know, setting all these random conditions on mergers in order to get them through. And he doesn't like the structure of the deal, according to the Wall Street Journal. That tells me that, you know, that signals to me that there's very little chance that it'll go through, given that it seems like um, general consensus is that the the prospects on the deal have soured um, over the course of the past, you know, six months or so. Uh, so, yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking things do not, things do not look good. Uh, yeah. for this merger to go through
0: at this moment in time. And that's where we kind of have to leave it with that is at this moment in time, it looks worse. Uh, the prospects looks wor- look worse mm-hmm. than they did. Uh, you know, this, this time a month ago, um, now that leads to a whole different discussion, which you, uh, uh, blogged about, uh, recently this idea of, okay, let's say it doesn't go through. Um, now yeah. what, what are we left with?
2: I mean, that's, I think that's the conversation now, you know, if it went through, if, if the deal does go through and, you know, say there's what a 40% chance of that happening, maybe a 30% chance of that happening. Yeah. Um, you know, it totally reorders the wireless industry. It creates this sort of behemoth in, in a new T-Mobile that is the combination of T-Mobile and then Sprint's Spectrum. Um, so, you know, that would, that would make a significant, you know, impact into the wireless industry. However, uh, if the deal does not go through, And they are they are prevented from merging, just like, uh, you know, Obama's Justice Department moved against the proposed merger between AT&T and T-Mobile. Right. Then the question becomes, what happens? Well, if you look back at what happened to uh, AT&T and T-Mobile, you know, they tried to merge in 2011. Uh, They were not successful. They gave up that that plan. And as a result, what happened is that um, as a condition of the breakup, uh, AT&T owed T-Mobile money. And so T-Mobile paid, I forget how much it was, it was several billion dollars and some Spectrum. Right. So T-Mobile, or sorry, AT&T paid that to T-Mobile. They gave them some Spectrum, they gave them some cash. Uh, John Ledger came on as the CEO right around that time. And in the intervening years, since that merger was broken up, that proposed merger was broken up, T-Mobile has, you know, sort of. Completely changed the industry. It's come from the back into the front. It's totally revamped its network. It's totally revamped its customer marketing, and it's got all this momentum now. It's just crazy. I mean, it and you know what? It just really goes to show you what you know quality leadership, a real clear you know mission statement, and some exciting marketing will do for a business. You know, in an industry like this, so especially one that's so
0: consumer uh, driven. I mean, this is really about the whims of consumers. And the other thing is that yeah uh, t-mobile was barely number four in the nation
2: oh they were they were really suffering there at that time and you know the the same arguments applied it was like it was doing really bad you know it needed this at&t merger for scale blah 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 um and that really has not proven out and so i wonder if that you know if that's really sort of dragging on this current proposal so you know but I don't I do I'm not convinced that the same argument applies here so if T-mobile and Sprint are not allowed to merge um, Sprint has made it very clear that you know they're they're in a they're in a disastrous situation and I think that's pretty clear I mean Sprint for years has just been struggling they've gone through a couple of different revamps first under the former CEO Dan Hesse and now and then right. under Marcelo Claret, and now under the current CEO Michelle Combs like, they're just sprint is just they're just a dog and they've been a dog for a long <laughs> time and there's you know they'll they'll they're been dragging along and you know i i don't know if there's a turnaround i don't know if they can be turned around so the question really becomes what you know if if, if sprint is sort of left you know left uh, at the altar just bereft of any opportunities what does t-mobile do and i think that's a much more interesting question um uh, because I think T-Mobile has options. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I think probably the biggest two uh, is thats is that they'd either buy the Spectrum from, from Dish Network or they would buy the C-band Spectrum that the satellite companies are currently sort of inhabiting right now. Um, and, and either one of those moves would essentially replace the midband spectrum that T-Mobile would have gotten from Sprint. So that's why T-Mobile really wants to merge with Sprint, is so that they can get access to Sprint's midband spectrum, their 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. So if they can't get Sprint's 2.5 gigahertz spectrum, they're going to look for that same spectrum elsewhere, and DISH has it, and those satellite companies have it with the C-band. And so that's, I mean, I think that's a, that's a pretty reasonable assumption of what T-Mobile's next move might be.
0: And you know, I don't see the Justice Department uh, because of their tendencies. I don't see them blocking Sprint or T-Mobile from buying somebody like Dish or acquiring a part of it just to get that spectrum. Um, I could I could see them allowing uh, T-Mobile to buy a satellite company quicker than I could seeing them allow uh, 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 seeing them allow T-Mobile to buy a like for like competitor.
2: Right. I mean that that is the I think the primary argument against the merger of Sprint and T-Mobile is that it really does uh, reduce the wireless industry from four nationwide competitors to three. And there's no way yeah. you can argue around that. It just, it, it just totally does that. Any other ac- acquisitions or mergers, um, you know, that don't do that, I think are going to probably be viewed much more favorably.
0: Interesting because, you know, the the, the historic inter- thing is so interesting because T-Mobile went from being a real dog uh, and, and lacking a competitive spirit. Suddenly it gets this invest that the merger breaks up it, or the merger possibility falls apart, uh, with AT&T. It gets this infusion of capital. It gets this infusion of spectrum. It gets a new leader. And all of a sudden it's, it's on its way. Um, yeah.
2: It's been I mean, it's it is a dramatic turnaround story for T-Mobile. And honestly, I mean, you know, I don't want to give him more credit than he deserves. But really, I think most of the credit goes to John John Ledger, the CEO of T-Mobile. I mean, that guy, you know, he came in, he kicked all he kicked a lot of the, you know, existing management out. Put uh-huh. in all his new people, and then he just, you know, he drove them. He drove them, and he had a real clear vision about what the uh, what this uncarrier brand. And he and he really has pushed it these last couple of years, you know, to to imp- really impressive results in an industry that seemed completely dominated by AT and T and Verizon. He's really sort of come from behind with this kind of miraculous turnaround story. Back it's, in uh, the, I mean, yeah, it's impressive.
0: Back in the day, we thought Dan Hesse was going to be that guy for Sprint. Um, he was, he was talking, talking a good game and he, and, and then when Sprint started embracing Wimax, we all thought, oh yeah, they're onto something. They're going to be, they're going to have this Wimax thing and it's going to be, uh, the bandwidth that nobody else can offer. And, and it's, it's all just gone to hell. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah it's, it's really the the long tortured history of sprint is you know it's 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 practically legendary at this point you know disastrous merger with nextel um disastrous launch of wimax uh and here we are finally you know the interesting thing about sprint i mean they sprint has been real clear that you know their 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 future would be disastrous without a merger with t-mobile and i think that's a legitimate argument argument for them to make now, the, the the real question though is that um you know softbank made this huge investment and bought basically most of of sprint they own about 80 percent. and so masa san in japan is essentially the, the the real person calling the shots shots behind sprint that is right his softbank company is the parent company of sprint yeah and what he did um probably about two years ago this is before the merger is he invested a bunch of money in sprint i mean he gave them um you know as basically five billion dollars over the next two or three years To build out 5G, I mean that's why uh, Sprint's capex has ramped up so dramatically. That's how they're building out their 2.5 gigahertz spectrum right now, and so Masasan has already invested in Sprint. Um, And the real question is: Is he going to keep investing in Sprint? That Mm -hmm. I think that's a that that is an open question. It doesn't. I mean you know Masasan has sort of moved on into this like crazy that the softbank vision fund is this like what is it a hundred billion dollars or even more um invest- mm. global investment fund that he's been running and it's gotten this like crazy return on investment f- for the people who have invested in it cr- crazy returns i mean he's invested in uber and all these other things and has really just become this like amazing global investor and you know it's sort of like left Sprint in the dust essentially. I mean, you know it's, that's just not what Masasan is doing anymore. Yeah, is is even thinking about Sprint at all is is what I take it as. And so, you know, Sprint is spending this money that that Masasan gave them a couple of years ago um, in order to build out their initial five G network and densify with the two point five gigahertz spectrum, but. Um, yeah next steps for Sprint if they are not able to merge with T-Mobile I think is a real open and interesting question whether they become some kind of like weird regional player whether they become um, a wholesaler whether they decide to pivot and try to go back to the cable companies in some way I mean they already have this like big deal with Altice for an MVNO It, it, it really is a you know sort of the sky's the limit in terms of what you might do with those Sprint assets but again it's You know, it's uh, seeing them compete against the likes of AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile. You know, I I don't even know if a a John Ledger would be able to pull that kind of thing off uh, in the future.
0: Knowing Sprint's history, I would say the ground is the limit for those guys. (laughs) I mean,
2: they've been talking about this 2.5 gigahertz spectrum and how amazing it is for, you know, it's got to be five or six years now. You know, WiMAX into now. It's just it's this ongoing story that just never seems to end. Well, we uh... just
0: keep spinning their wheels. We will uh, uh, fold our hands and 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 piously wait for what happens next. I guess.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll wait wait for the Justice Department, see what they do. You know, as only we in the media I, can do. <laughs> exactly. Just hang out and see what see what uh, what late Friday filings the Justice Department might make on this on this topic, and then you know see what the fallout might be afterward.
0: All right, Mike Dano, thanks so much for uh, following the story for us.
2: All righty, thanks a lot.
0: Well, that is it. That's all we've got. That's our show. This podcast is mixed and edited by Tian Fu, senior producer. He's part of our fantastic New York-based Light Reading video team. You can reach us by emailing editors at lightreading.com or follow Light Reading on Twitter at light underscore reading. For all the articles and research we talked about on the show, please visit lightreading.com and search podcast. The latest article will pop up there. We put all of our show notes in the blog post associated with each episode the podcast is available on google play apple Podcasts, soundcloud and spotify please leave us a review on itunes so i can finally convince my mother that she's not the only one listening we'll be back with another episode real soon you there with the headphones thanks so much for listening bye